Before we start today's episode, I want to mention our sponsor, Swoosh English, the best way to pass your OET or IELTS exams. For 10% off any course, go to swooshenglish.com forward slash our voices discount or click the link in the episode description. I'm Alex Melia, and this is Our Voices in the NHS, a stage for real people to tell the real stories we never get to hear. In this series, we hear personal stories from NHS medical professionals. If you found meaning in these episodes, please share them with a friend so they can enjoy them as well. Let's delve into today's episode. Everything that happened, it's like a car crash in your life and everyone can see it. This is Andrea, a pathologist from Herefordshire. She works in an NHS hospital laboratory, analysing and detecting changes in the body's cells and tissues. The main focus of her job is to identify and diagnose diseases, mainly cancer. I see specimens in my job from patients all day, pieces of people come through the lab and you detach yourself. You know what you're doing is giving them potentially a life-changing diagnosis and you deal with that and you, you know, you do your job. Seven years ago, Andrea's husband, Neil, was diagnosed with rectal cancer. To have it happen in your own life, it was kind of like a, a bomb going off. The experience of seeing the other side of the fence, seeing how we fit in and having a greater understanding of that um, from the patient side, I can honestly say has totally changed my perspective on my job. At the time of the diagnosis, Andrea and Neil had an 18-month-old daughter. Two weeks later, Andrea found out she was pregnant with their second child. To be honest with you, it was probably my saving grace that I was pregnant because I had to keep myself healthy and not to be too stressed and learn to roll with the punches. I remember there's some advice we were given, take it a day at a time and when it's bad you take it an hour at a time and you learn not to plan and to be honest with you, it served me quite well. Neil underwent many tests to determine how advanced the cancer was. His specimen arrived at the lab Andrea worked in. Unfortunately, the prognosis wasn't hopeful. They'd identified a large tumour and it was spreading. It just felt like the the ground had fallen from, from under us, really. It's sort of, where do we go from here? You can only speculate. And the thing that you're waiting for is the histopathology report, which is a report generated by my laboratory. And um, I think as soon as we knew that, as soon as we knew the plan for treatment, you try and be positive and you try and think it's going to be okay and don't take yourself to a certain place. But at the same time, doing the job that I do, having seen it day in, day out, having studied it, You know what the chances are, you've read enough papers, you've read enough scientific journals. The only thing you can do is is rely on the science, rely on the scans and what the doctors are saying. Together, Andrea and Neil attended countless appointments with specialists. I remember Neil was always very quiet at most appointments. Let me do most of the talking and the questions to the doctors. Kind of felt like I knew what to ask. 
what did the scan show were there any lymph nodes involved I felt like I kind of took over in a way because of having sort of an angle and an understanding I remember the only time he really ever did pipe up was the day that we went to the oncologist and they turned around and it had spread to his brain and they said um it's terminal and you know this is it now you're not going to recover from this you're terminally ill and you haven't got long left and that's when he started talking to the healthcare professionals he asked how long he'd got and then he didn't really say anything to me until we left the hospital and he said I'm so disappointed I won't get to see that Star Wars film the film was Rogue One one of the recent prequels it was due to be released later that year as the months went on, Neil's condition deteriorated and he was moved to a hospice. One of the nurses that attended to him started a campaign in aid of getting Neil to see an early version of Rogue One before he died. This caught the attention of the director, Gareth Edwards, who visited Neil at the hospice. He came and he showed Neil bits of the film and he was absolutely brilliant with him. You know, he recorded his voice, he put him in the film. It was one extreme experience. I'm always taken aback by the staff who work in end-of-life care, the compassion they show and the lengths they go to to fulfil the wishes of their patients is phenomenal. After he left, Neil said, um, I don't feel very well. He said, give me a kiss. He said, I've got to go now. And I said, all right then. And that was it, he went to sleep. And he didn't wake up. I don't know, it's just one of those... Ugh, it was so surreal. Hugely surreal time. Neil died aged 36 after a three-year-long battle with cancer. The grief that Andrea experienced was almost unbearable, but she remained strong for her two children. Reflecting back on those three years, Andrea admits that she was extremely traumatised by the events. I went back to work and I was obsessed with looking at patients' date of birth on the form when I was checking specimens and doing quality checking. I would see how old the patient was that was being diagnosed with cancer and it became a thing. And I would hate going in the hospital to hear the noises of certain machines. He had a chemotherapy pump on for a period of time, which means he had um, like a pick line in him and he would have tubes and the district nurses would come and take that off. But when we were in bed and they touched me, I felt like I was fighting off snakes in my nightmares. Going through it and trying to support someone and the kids and keep my career, to be honest with you, I'm not entirely sure why I'm not completely grey. <laughs> but you just get through you either sink or swim and I think I've learned so much from it and I've learned so much how important every single teeny tiny specimen is that we deal with and what that feels like for a patient to wait for that information that's going to change their life and you know that's in our hands to help her two young children cope with the suffering and death of their father, Andrea sought out a family counsellor who was able to advise on how best to approach the topic. Honesty is the best policy and explaining it on a level that they understand, daddy's poorly. 
when daddy comes out from the hospital he's going to have a bag because his his bottom's poorly and it doesn't work anymore so he has to have a bag now and the brain operation daddy's gonna have a big scar on his head and it's gonna look a bit funny but it's not scary so you kind of explain it on their level you know i'm forever grateful for her and all the work she did and i think one of the hardest things is actually the hospice are amazing and they give you these books to read to your kids about dying and death what it means and there was a book about um, a fox that goes and dies in the woods and how his friends are the badger and everyone afterwards and i that was probably one of the hardest things I've ever had to read in my life. And I think I was so sad and trying not to cry when I was reading it. I ended up whispering the whole story to the kids because I was trying to keep it together. Andrea is incredibly proud of how both her and her children have come out the other side. My little girl, when I was on my own afterwards, she said, can't you get a new daddy? And I said, well, where do you want me to get one of them from, sweetheart? They don't sell them in Asda. And she said, um, can't you buy one off the internet? <laughs> I said no <laughs> years later Andrea has met someone new and funnily enough found him on the internet I remember saying to my mum what's left who's going to want me you know two kids this is what happened and there's such a stigma I think with the word widow and I thought everyone's going to know you know and it's like a, a big sign on your head people are going to look at me and think damaged goods I remember my friend said to me, oh, go on that Plenty of Fish, that's where I met my chap. I was like, oh, okay. And I remember having a laugh with the girls in a break time at work, you know, looking on there and, you know, being funny. And I seen this picture of this chap and and, um, and in the end I showed my mum at the weekend and she said, oh, let's have a look and click. And I said, oh, don't click on it. <laughs> and um, that was it, then he messaged me. Andrea and Ed hit it off instantly, but she was hesitant about introducing him to her children. I remember saying to my dad, oh, I've met this chap and I really like him. And he said, you must introduce him to the children straight away because if they don't like him, you can't have him. It's <laughs> like, so, okay, that's fine. They met him and the kids loved him. After about a year, Andrea's youngest child, Luke, addressed Ed directly. He said, um, are you going to die? He said, no, no, bud, I'm not going anywhere. He said, um, all right then, Dad. And that was it. That was the moment when he, he reassured him and he knew he was going to be there. Called him Dad. Here we are now, down the line. We've had a child together. And we got married in the middle of a pandemic. <laughs> Things work out, you know. Life works out. You never know what's coming around the corner. Listening to Andrea's story, it strikes me how difficult it must have been for her to be on the other side of the doctor-patient divide. Being so used to being that person who gave the news to anxious, hopeful patients, having to receive it instead must have been a traumatic experience. Then having to be strong not just for herself, but for her dying husband and children must have required extreme resilience. And that's the word that I think of most here, resilience the resilience to support her husband right until the end, the resilience to support and take care of her children, the resilience to continue working in her laboratory despite all of the haunting associations, and finally, the resilience to find a new connection and to start a new family in the midst of a pandemic. Life brings suffering. 
Of this there is no doubt. But it can bring joy too, at the most unexpected times and in the most unexpected places. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. If you want to keep in touch with the show and be the first to find out what's coming up next, go to our website, www.ourvoicespodcast.com or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. The links are in the show notes. And if you haven't already, give us a quick follow in your favorite podcast app. See you for another incredible story next week. I want to acknowledge our sponsor, Swoosh English, for making these podcasts possible. It's the best place to get training and support to pass your OET, IELTS, and PT exams. If you want to hear from doctors or nurses who've passed their exam with the help of Swoosh English, go and listen to episodes from Rima, Midun, Cynthia, Tara, and Hussein. For 10% off any course, visit swooshenglish.com forward slash Our Voices discount.